Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. What's up, Victory? Oh, man, you guys ain't ready for the Super Bowl. Come on, Edmund, help me out. What's up, Victory? I want to welcome everyone that's here today joining us from our Edmund campus, watching online. I know it's Super Bowl weekend. Come on, let, let me hear you. How many guys are with the uh, Bengals camp? Okay. All right. Uh, who's, who's with the Rams? Help me out. Who's with the Rams today? <laughs> All right, we got like three poor souls. And, and now, who's in the camp like, man, I don't really care? <laughs> yes! That's my people, man. The Cowboys lost and I'm still bitter. <laughs> we need to, you know who we need to get rid of from the Cowboys, right? I'm not even going to say his name, but uh, uh, he doesn't play. Anyway, <laughs> he just puts out the money. I know it's Super Bowl weekend. I know you guys have a lot of plans. It's also Valentine's Day weekend. So there's a lot of, you know, love and cheap cologne in the air. You know, that's, it's Valentine's. It's Valentine's. How many of you guys have a crazy uh, Valentine's story? Or maybe not a crazy Valentine's story, but a, a crazy love story that happened between you and your spouse, you know, uh, around Valentine's or proposal time. Have you noticed how much pressure there is on people who propose today. Like, you can't just ask somebody to marry them. Like, you have to, like, like jump from a plane, you know, like, land on one foot and spell out I love you, you know, with the clouds. I don't know. Will you marry me? You know, I didn't have that pressure when I asked my wife to, be, when I asked my wife to marry me. And I'm thankful for that. But I still... Like, I work really hard on planning it out. And have you ever planned something out and just nothing goes like you planned it out? That's my engagement story. Like, can I tell you a little bit of my, can I, can I share my engagement story with you, with you guys? I asked permission to my wife. So, you know, this was what it was supposed to be. I had spoken with the manager of a museum and I had gotten permission to borrow a wing from the museum so that it would have a one-day exhibit of the engagement ring that I would present my wife. And I was given permission to place it on this exhibit with a description declaring in detail our love story. That's good. So it was our two-year anniversary so we were going to go out and say, hey, let's go, uh, let's go to the museum. Not only had I spoken with the museum people, but I also hired a camera crew to follow us around. And by a camera crew, I mean like my brother and super close friend. I was like, dude, let me buy you lunch. 
come record follow us around, but you have to do it discreetly. You know, I don't want her to know that you guys are around. I mean, you have to show up to a museum, then for dinner, then all these other things, and it's gonna be romantic. It's gonna be great. It wasn't. <laughs> because, first of all, we, I met with my brother and be like, hey, I'm gonna give you the ring and I'm gonna go to the side. We're gonna go over the whole plan. It's gonna be awesome. And then from then I'll go pick up Tara and we'll go have to dinner. Well, while we're meeting, uh, I said, my, I told my brother, go get this from the car. And so he brings my bag and all this stuff. Well, when he went to my car, he, ended up, he ends up locking my keys inside my car. So that's a big, like, bad start. So I'm already kind of like, you know, just frustrated. Frustrated. Okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But let's, just, let's, just, let's get on with it. So now th him and my friend have to drive me to Terrace and then drive to the museum too. They're going to get there first, set up the ring, set up the description, set up the cameras all around, talk to the people. It's going to be ready. We, instead of having an hour now, we only have 30 minutes. Should be fine. I'll just buy us some time. I get to Terrace and have to let her know, okay, I'm, we're not going to take my car because I don't have a car right now. <laughs> we have to take your car, but you know what? Let's just, can I just relax for a little bit? I just want to sit down for like 15 or 20 minutes. And she's like looking at me like, what's happening to you right now? What's going on? Nothing, nothing. Just, just had a long day. Just, so we get in the car for you like, you know, 20 minutes should be plenty of time, buy some time. We're driving to the museum. As I'm, as, as I'm pulling into the museum and to find a parking space, uh, we quickly noticed two very conspicuous gentlemen carrying large uh, camera equipment walking from the parking lot on the sidewalk. I walked to go into the, to the museum and my wife looks at me and she says, isn't that your brother, Jonathan? So like a good husband, I ignore her question and just drove out of the parking lot. I mean, we literally went in, so my brother and we're like, oh, yeah, that's like, so we drove away. Where? I don't know. I was just like, we're not staying here. We got to keep going. I don't know what's happening. I, right now, I'm not even thinking about the engagement. I'm rehearsing my brother's eulogy. You know what I mean? Like... Like this is, and she's like, what's, what's happening? Nothing is happening. Cause this, you know, and I'm just upset. So pull over eventually to a, to a gas station. Wouldn't need gas, but I'm needing some time to think. And I'm just trying to put gas and I'm just frustrated. And it's just not clicking. You know, when you put gas and it's like goes click and you try it again and try to rearrange it and click. And I'm just like, oh, would you just not gas my car? And I, when I pull it out, I pull gas all over my pants and all over my shoes. So now we have to go find a Target. We're downtown Dallas. We find a Target and she's like, why are you being so rude? I'm like, just nothing's okay. So I go inside, buy a new pair of pants and I'm just so frustrated and think after one thing after another just failed. All my plans. We have dinner. She was supposed to, when we got to our table reserved over this little fake lake looing thing on a bridge, there were supposed to be flowers there. There was no flowers. We sit down. I'm like, whatever. And then my two amazing friends show up like, hey, let's make sure nobody sees us. And we're watching and walking to the restaurant. And they're like. <laughs> so I just kind of like, you know, fire them on the spot. 
And thing after thing fell. But the end of the night, one thing I did changed everything. And that's when I bent my knee. When I got on my knee and I asked her to marry me, I was like, if she can deal with all of this and still say yes, I think we have a little bit of hope. And listen, next to saying yes to following Jesus, marrying Tara has been the greatest decision I have ever made in my life. Life has a way of bringing you to your knees. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes it's by choice. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's because we're experiencing great joy, or we've accomplished, we conquer something, and we're just, yes, on our knees. Sometimes it's not because of joy, sometimes it's because of brokenness. Sometimes because of desperation, sometimes because of exhaustion, sometimes, let's be honest, just because of age. I noticed a couple of months ago, I thought my wife is reading in the bedroom, I thought I'm going to sneak up on her and just kind of scare her a little bit. So the first thing... I mean, she's like so into her book, and I just get on my knees, and I'm like, oh, man, I have stealth powers, you know? And as soon as I started, as I started crawling, she looked up at me, not because I made any noise, but because my knees started going click, click, <laughs> click. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And it was my knees making the noise. True story. Life has a way of bringing us on our knees. Today's gonna be a little bit different because since we're in a season called bend the knee, we're gonna, I'm not gonna give you like I normally do, like we normally do, uh, just points for you to follow. I'm gonna have pretty much one point and the point is the Gospel of Mark. So we're gonna go through the Gospel of Mark and we're gonna find out what does Mark say about bending our knee. Is that okay we do that? Some of you guys are like, no, that sounds like it's going to be a really, really long sermon, Pastor Oscar. Can you just give us the three points and so we can get, get out of here? No, I promise you, I think there's a theme interweaved throughout the Gospel of Mark that has a lot of encouragement and challenges for us today. Here's why I think Mark is important to read. And in fact, Mark would be the, the book I would recommend to new believers. If you're going to start reading the Bible somewhere, start with the book of Mark. No, start with Matthew uh, Luke or John. I mean, they're great, and eventually I want you to read them too. But the book of Mark, it's like the Swiss army of the Gospels. It contains all the basics, and it points you to the most important things of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we start this, and if you read the book of Mark, it should take you probably a couple of two to three hours, and it'll, it'll be simple, and it'll give you the, just cover all, all the bases. But one of the reasons why I like the book of Mark is because it leaves, you, leaves us, the readers, with a choice. And the choice sometimes is simply this. Do we remain in mediocrity or do we grow into maturity? So I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't even know if you know God or maybe you don't believe in God. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know if you were hurt by the church, if you were hurt by somebody else's Christianity or religion. I'm so glad you're here because I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, we see the truth not just from people's eyes, but from Jesus himself to bring healing into our life. So when I read the book of Mark, I like it because it is filled with people who dealt with sin. 
And it brings encouragement to us because these people came to Jesus on bended knees with a different heart. And these people, including the disciples, dealt with the same sin and the same struggles that you and I do. So Mark, knowing that, writes this book to help us come to Jesus in faith and in repentance. When we come to Jesus in faith and in repentance, then we can find out what, what God's purpose for us is. So as we go through these stories, let's just remember a couple of things. Following Jesus does not demand perfect faith. It simply demands pers persevering faith and repentance. So as we read through these stories that, that sometimes are a little bit crazy and insane, we remember that things happen when we choose, even failing after failing, when we choose to bend our knee, God can change everything. So the title for my message is simply this, bring me to my knees. Bring me to my knees. I know we said it earlier, even during worship, could we just spend just a few seconds, Edmund, OKC, everyone watching online, can we just spend a few seconds and say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Can we make room for the Holy Spirit today? Maybe you're, you're worried about the crock pot. Did I leave it on or did I leave, uh, did I leave it off? Or maybe there's just something else in your heart that is pulling your attention from today. Can you just take a deep breath and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you speak to us? Would you bring life to us? Would you bring clarity to us? Because we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll start right off the bat with our first story that is found in Mark chapter 1. And it's the story of a demon-possessed man. And it says this, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as a scribe. I love that Mark just throws that in there. He's like, oh, he's teaching like awesome, not like the scribes. They don't teach awesome. <laughs> he's teaching with power and authority. The scribes teach a lot. They say a lot of things. They say a lot of scriptures, but have no authority. <laughs> Just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So I wonder, I don't know if, if, if the unclean spirit, it's singular, but the fact that he says, What business do you have with us? I don't know if it's because there was multiple spirits or because the spirit was saying, Hey, I'm speaking on behalf of everyone here in the synagogue. What business do you have with us? In other words, like, Jesus, why did you come mess up what I'm doing here with the people here? Have you come to destroy us? And then he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So super cool story, super crazy story. And in fact, the book of Mark talks a lot about demon-possessed people. If Mark was a movie, it would be a horror movie. Because it's like these strange things happening right there in the, in the Bible. So when Mark says, 
we were listening to the scribes and Jesus steps in and he begins to teach, but not like the scribes. Kind of, it's a warning for all the people of his time, the people that read the Torah, that memorized the Torah, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and he, even the disciples to saying, you need to watch out for the gospel that you're listening to. Who is it coming from? Whose gospel are you listening to? Because right there you have from the beginning people who memorized the first five books of the Bible but had no idea who Jesus was. You had people walking right next to Jesus, following him around, and were clueless about Jesus. He was in the synagogue, and they did not know that God was in their midst. So Mark recognizes that, and he's kind of beginning his book by letting us know, watch out, because sometimes we can be super close to Jesus and still not get it. Watch out who you get your gospel from. Listen, I know, I know many of us sometimes listen to a lot of famous preachers, but just because they're famous doesn't mean they're biblical. Watch out who you get your gospel from because they, they will either point you to prosperity or they will point, point you to Jesus. And I promise you, Jesus, being pointed to Jesus will do a lot more for your soul than prosperity will do for your, for your physical time on this earth. Watch out who you get your gospel from. You know, that also kind of, we, we could talk about, you know, don't get financial advice from broke people. <laughs> Just saying. And I know you guys know this. You guys know this. You know, you don't want to get advice, uh, dating advice, relationship, marriage advice from someone who hasn't gone through that. Right? If someone has just had failed dating relationships after dating, after dating relationships, they probably tell you how to do it, not how not to do it. So I know you guys are wise, you know this, just remember that even good people, even good meaning people sometimes give us awful advice. Even sometimes wise people, people like the scribes, they taught but had no authority. And it just sort of reminds us that sometimes we can have biblical knowledge, but if we don't have intimacy with the author, that will leave our head full of information, but our heart empty of transformation. Watch out who you get your gospel from. Mark 1.23 says, Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now, this guy was probably a regular. But people did not know that he, was, that he, he had an unclean spirit. That he was spiritually being troubled with the spirit. That he was possessed by the Spirit. The only difference on this day was that Jesus showed up. And now the Spirit has a choice. But because of the Spirit recognizes not only who Jesus is, and he recognizes his authority, because he knows who Jesus is, he has to bow and he has to declare who Jesus is. Why, why does this happen? Listen, let me remind you, Ephesians 6, 12 tells us that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sometimes we need to know that our battle is not against your spouse, it's not against your children, but it's against the spiritual realm that we must come and proclaim the authority of Christ over that. Sometimes we, I know sometimes we, we react to the person when we should speak to the spirit. 
Now, now I'm not saying that, I, listen, I know there's not a devil around every corner. Sometimes it's not spiritual. Sometimes it's stupid you know, I don't know. Come on, can we say honest? You can blame everything on the devil, right? You can blame your debt on the devil. No, I mean, you, the devil did not put that. You didn't have to buy that, okay? But there are some things that you have to seek wisdom from the Lord and say, you know what? This is an attack of the, uh, of the enemy. And the only way we respond to that is by praying and fasting and attacking this the same way under the authority of Christ Jesus. You have that authority. You have that authority. But the demons knew who he was. And so this is what Mark tells us in this very first story that will kind of happen all over again throughout the Gospel of Mark. You have the Sadducees or scribes or, or Pharisees, and, and Jesus is in the midst, but they don't know who Jesus is. You have the disciples close to Jesus, and they're clueless. They don't really understand. They're confused. You have people around them surrounded because they're, they're the followers and they're fans and they still don't know Jesus. They just want something from him. The only one who knew Jesus was a demon possessing the man. And he bends his knee. Mark 1.34, it says, And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit, permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the words of Dr. John Chastain, that's gangster. That's gangster. Like, hey, you hush. Don't even, don't, hush. I wish I had the power sometimes over certain children. Did I, did I say that out loud? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You guys with me, parents? You're with me? Okay, thank you, thank you. Then you feel me. Our next story, we see Jesus encountering a leper. And it happens in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says that a man with leprosy came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling down, bending his knee and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, leprosy is a little bit tricky because it was not just a horrible, horrible disease where your flesh would literally rot as you lived out to the point that your organs would eventually be shown, your, the, your lips around your mouth would decay and would fall apart where your teeth were always showing, the, your nose, I mean, everything was awful. There was a, an awful sense of smell. So there was a physical part, but it was also the spiritual part because it was always associated with sin. So not only does the leper already feel awful because he has to declare everywhere he goes. He has to live separate from his family. He has to declare, live in a, in a leper colony, separated from his family. And whenever he comes around the city to get food, to get all the leftovers that people will leave out for them, they have to declare, unclean, unclean, unclean. So you have the physical sickness, but now you have the spiritual side because everyone around them feels like you're going through that because you're in sin. Something you did. You must have done something. So he's dealing with this heaviness. He's dealing with this heaviness and, G and he comes to Jesus. And I don't know what happens, but something in the leper's heart makes me think that he knows something that sometimes the reader doesn't get. Because he still comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, 
I want to be cleansed. In other words, I'm, I'm not here because I believe you have the power to change my physical condition. I'm here because I also believe you can cleanse me because you can change my spiritual condition. And Jesus says, I'm willing. Jesus says to you today, I'm willing. If you feel separated, if you're dealing with the shame, if you're dealing with the pain, if you're dealing with, with, with whatever circumstance, I just want you to know that this, this afternoon, Jesus says to you, Edmund, online, I am willing. We believe that Jesus has authority to cleanse, not just from leprosy, but from sin. And what I love about this story is that there was so much happening there because typically if a leper will come to you and touch you, you were made unclean. It was so contagious that it would freak people out. So if a leper touched you, now you could become a leper. You get the sickness, now you get the shame. But when this leper touches Jesus, Jesus does not become a leper. The leper gets healing. When the leper touches Jesus, Jesus does not become shameful. The leper gets forgiven and his shame is taken away. When the leper touches Jesus, Jesus doesn't get healed. The leper get, the, the, Jesus doesn't get sickness. The leper gets healed. Why? Because the, the touch of Jesus has power of, over leprosy and has power over sin. Listen, I don't know if you're struggling with shame, with sickness, the touch of Jesus has power over anything that you are dealing with today. But you must reach out and touch him. You must come to him on a bended knee and say, Jesus, if you're willing, he'll say to you, I am willing. Because he has power and authority over the very thing that you're dealing with. But here's an interesting thing, Todd. He says in verse 43, he sternly won him. And immediately sent him away, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, which is weird, because in nowadays, everyone would say, Jesus, please, let people talk about you. You'll gain 100,000 followers on social media. You'll get more ministry invitations. Your influence would expand. You'll get to be on stage more often. You'll get to, you, your, the crowds will be lar larger. It'll, be, it'll become larger. I mean, it makes no sense for Jesus not to, to tell him not to say anything which kind of invites us to dig in a little bit. Because what Jesus was concerned, well, wanted to make sure that people understood that even though he could heal, he did not want to be known just as a healer. That even though he could provide, even though he could make miracles, he did not want to be known as just a miracle maker. See, in verse 38, he says, and he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may also preach there for this is why I came. What does that mean? That Jesus was more concerned about people knowing that he had come to, to, to bring God's kingdom upon the earth. Not just to heal people. Not just to provide. Not just to feed the multitudes. But that there was a greater need in every man and every woman's heart. The same need they had then. The same need that we have today. Is that we must be reconciled and, and be restored. And our heart be healed to be restored to the Father. Does Jesus heal? Yes. Does he do miracles? Absolutely. Does he provide? Amen. He does. But that's not why he came. He came to deal with the heart issue, with the soul issue, and to remind us that sometimes we come to church or we have a relationship or, or, or we, we follow Christianity. Sometimes 
for what God can do for us, not so much for what he wants to do in us. When you come to Jesus, don't just put your hands out because you want to receive something from him. When you come to Jesus, he wants you to begin a relationship for him so that he can heal your soul. That's what he came to do. The word preach in the verse that we just read is the word charizo, which means to be a herald. And listen to this. It's the suggestion of formality, gravity, and authority, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. The, the more famous Jesus became because of his miracles, the less people wanted to hear about the actual good news of the kingdom of God that he had come to proclaim. And that's why crowds pressed him and touched him. Not because they believed he was the son of God and because they, be they believed they had sinned, but because they needed him. But he came to share not only the gravity of our condition, but his, his authority over the gravity of our condition. So that we have a choice today. Do you understand the gravity of, of sin? But also, do you understand that he's Lord over that? And that if you give him that which you're struggling with, if he, if he becomes Lord over that, that you can truly begin to follow him. See, we, we believe that if we don't correctly believe in the right identity and authority of Jesus, who is God, we will die in our sin. And Mark is reminding us of that. That even as a disciple, as a Sadducee, as a Pharisee, it matters how you view or how you think Jesus is. But thank God that he has authority over the gravity over, of our sin. The next story is found in Mark chapter 5. And it says, seeing Jesus from a distance, he, run, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do you have with me, Jesus Son of the Most High God. And I love this because Jesus not only has authority over demons, he has authority over demon armies. That's powerful. That's gangsta. But you have the same pattern. You have people that are following, pressing to touch him, but they're clueless on who Jesus is and what he came to do. You have the disciples as the thing, oh, this is, this is Jesus, I hang with him, I know him, but they really didn't know. I mean, remember there's even a story in Mark where, where there's a storm, they're on the boat and a storm comes and Jesus gets up and calms the storm. What do the disciples do? They look at each other and they're like, who is he? Like, I mean, you're spending day and night with him, don't you know who he is? And they were clueless. They said, who is, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I don't want us to, live, to, to leave this place not knowing who Jesus truly, truly is. So the demons know him. What do they do? They bend, they bend their knee to Jesus. Next story is in Mark chapter 5. It's a Syrophoenician woman. And I love this story. It says, but after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit... That's where a lot of the movies came from, you know? There's always the little girl looking real ugly coming at you. It's in the Bible. Little daughter had an unclean spirit and immediately came and fell at his feet. Now this is the mama bending her knee before Jesus. 
Now, the woman, by the way, was a Gentile. Mark wants us to know this. Of Syrophoenician descent, and she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to you, to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread. Who are the children? The Jews. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Um, rude. I mean, I understand that culturally, that women were not held in high esteem, and Gentile women were even lower. So when you read this, you're like, did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Did anybody, did you read it? Did you see that? I did. Can we talk about that? Because culturally, in that time, listen, when you read scripture, you cannot view it through your present cultural lens. You have to go back and see what, the, what it means through its cultural lens. What Jesus was telling this woman, first of all, it's not dog. The actual translation is more like little puppy. And what this woman was saying, hey, I know you came for the Jews, the children, but how about doing something for the Gentile? And Jesus says, well, I don't know. Can you really share the Gentiles' bread? I mean, the, the Jewish bread to the Gentiles? And I love her response because what, in essence, what Jesus is saying, it was not just physical bread. He was talking about him, the bread. He's saying, I, I came for the Jews. I'm bread for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. And I love this. And I want you to get this because what she says, the reason why she bent her knee is because she knew who he was. And this is what she says to him. He says, if you are the Messiah, if you are truly who you say you are, there's enough of you for me. That's bold. That's bold. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs run under the table and feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the, the child laying on the bed and the demon gone. And I love this because Jesus doesn't even pray or speak a word. It just says, it's done. That's gangsta. What does that say to you and us? As we read the book of Mark and we find all these stories, you have to, we have to make the choice of putting ourselves in the story and find out who we are. But I love that time after time people come and bend their knees. But there's always a, connect, a connection with bending their knees, knowing truly who Jesus was. Not how everybody else saw him, but knowing truly who he was. And you see, we're in this season, calm, bend the knee, because we know a bended knee is not an action of the spiritual, but it is the foundation of the desperate. And the people that got to know who Jesus was were the ones who were desperate. The challenge for you and I, let's not become like the Sadducees, like the Pharisees, like the crowd. Let's not even become like disciples because we might be right next to Jesus and still miss out on who he is. Religion cannot change you. I remember growing up in Mexico, there is in a nation that is mostly Catholic. And, 
and I don't, I mean like orthodox, like religious Catholic. I believe that there are a lot of Catholics who, who follow Jesus as, a, as their Lord today, that know Jesus truly. But in Mexico, at least in Mexico growing up, there was a, almost a, a, a yearly or multiple times a year actually where people are encouraged to get on their knees and to crawl blocks for blocks and to say, por mi culpa, beat their chest, por mi culpa, it's my fault, it's my fault, por mi culpa, I deserve this, it's my fault, what I'm going through this, my sin, this is my punishment, I need to punish myself, por mi culpa, por mi culpa, and they do this all the way to see the virgin because they're, they're trying to find some type of hope, some type of answer, and they believe that punishing themselves will, will help their faith, por mi culpa, it's my fault. See, you have to understand that religion makes you bend your knees out of guilt and shame, but knowing Jesus intimately brings us to our knees out of awe and revelation. Because understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do, we recognize that Jesus ultimately said, I know you did it, but I'm taking your fault. We bend our knees physically and symbolically because like John said, we must decrease so that he can increase. Being comes out of revelation, not out of religion. Knowing who you are and what you were created to do comes out out of knowing who Jesus is. Not because I'm telling you, not because a preacher on TV is telling you, not because you're listening to worship music, but because you can hear the word of the Father tell you and give you revelation of who He is in your situation, who He is in your life. You need to hear from Him. You need to hear from Him. What is He speaking to your life? What is he saying to you? Doesn't matter what anybody else says. What is the Holy Spirit telling you from his word? That's what Mark encouraged us to do. Mark closes the, the book of Mark with a story that happens in the tomb after Jesus dies. And it's extremely interesting because... He finishes the book with this. In verse 8, well, let me read the whole thing. It says, in the very, very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will move away the sun from the entrance of the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed the sun had been rolled away, for he was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right. So this dude is inside the tomb wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. But he said to them, do not be amazed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was being crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See, here is a place where, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples oh, and Peter. Why? Because Peter had just denied him three times. And Jesus wanted to make sure that this messenger gave the disciples, hey, make sure that Peter knows we're good. I'm good. Go tell his disciples, and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And listen to this. And they, were, they went out and fled. They ran from the tomb, for trembling and, a, and, a, and astonishment had gripped them. 
And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And the book of Mark ends. And the original manuscripts, that's the end of the book. Later on, that some of you guys have, your Bible has verses 10 through 20, but that was added later on. In the original manuscripts, that's where the end of the book, the, the book of Mark ends. Almost as if, if the author is trying to tell you, you have an option today. You have a decision today. Will you remain in mediocrity or will you grow in maturity with Jesus? Discipleship, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you something. What will you do? When this man Jesus reveals who he is to you, will you come? Will you come to him and be around him and know about him and read all about him and read all the stories and still be clueless about who Jesus truly is? Or despite of your issues, despite of your shame, despite of your mess, like the leopard, will you come to him and bow before him and declare who he is and reach out and touch him? Will you be like the Syrophoenician woman who will come and bend her knee even though she was ostracized and pushed by culture and be separated even though you feel away from that? Will you also come to Jesus, bend your knee and declare who he is? Or will you be like the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, or even the disciples who ran away and fled from the tomb and did not what they were told to do because they would lived in fear and trembling? Why did they, where were they in fear? Because they didn't understand. So Bonky's trying to tell us, hey, listen, I get it. It happens to all of us. But Jesus has a message of grace and restoration for you that even when we don't get it as believers, his grace is sufficient. There's enough of him for your situation. How did Mark know this? I know, I think Mark knew this because he had lived it firsthand. He was not saying, shame on you for, for being around Jesus and not knowing him. He was saying, that was me. He's telling the reader, I'm, talk, I'm telling you to do what I've done. I'm telling you where I was, but because of Jesus' grace, I'm telling you where I come from. And there's a story that is it's not on the notes, it's not on the screen, but it happens in Mark chapter 14. And you need to write this down. Mark chapter 14, verse 51. Important story. It's a very important story because it does not appear in any of the other gospels. And this story is about a young man who was present in Gethsemane. And he was one of Jesus' followers. And this young, this young man was present in Gethsemane. But when the Roman soldiers show up, all we know is that this young man was wearing a white linen. And it was a little, like, weird. Because as they grabbed him, he tries to escape. So they just grab his clothing and he runs away naked. That's weird. Why would Mark put that on the, on, I mean like, that's a little awkward. But why would he leave that on there? Here's why he left this story on there. Because Mark was not just talking about a young man, he was talking about him. He was a young man who ran away naked. It was him. And then he finishes the story by letting us know that there was a white lining 
on the tomb, the gospel tell us, tell, tell us. And I want you to listen to this because there are many reasons why, why Jesus left the folded lying on the, on the tomb. But I believe this is one of them that Mark is saying to you is Mark is saying to us. Jesus left a message for Mark. And he was telling him and he was telling you and I. He was telling Mark, Mark, I know you ran from me naked. The same naked that Adam and Eve found themselves in in the garden. Full of shame because you were separated, because you ran from the Father's love, because you ran from the Father's calling, because you ran from your Father's purpose. You ran away and you were naked and that's you and me. When we were without Jesus, we're unprotected. But Jesus left the lining to tell Mark, Mark, I have risen and I'm here to cover you. In your shame and your past, I got you. I'm here to cover you. In your sickness, I'm here to cover it. In your pain, I'm here to cover it. In your divorce, in your struggling, in your parenting, in your relationships, I'm here to cover that too. It doesn't matter how shameful, how hurtful, why your past has been, I have made a way to cover you. And that covering is found when we recognize that Jesus has authority not only to over demons and over sickness, but he has authority over death. He has made a way to cover you and me. The invitation is this, will you run away from him or will you let him cover you? We're going to go back into worship and with me, Pastor Kevin and Marcy will, will lead us. But here's what I want us to do. I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand. Would you please stand for a moment? Because I think this is a response that we, that we can have today. Mark challenges us. Do we walk in mediocrity or in maturity? And it's up to you and I. How will you respond? So here's what I would like us to do. As we go into worship, as we truly pray and set up a time to believe that we don't have to just follow religion. That we don't have to read religion in our traditions, but that God can bring and tear down all the walls that we have built inside in our minds. The same walls that the disciples and the Pharisees and all the crowd had. The same things that they thought this is who Jesus should be. We need him to tear down those walls. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, we need him to tear down those walls, to break tradition, to tear down the walls, to tear down the walls of religion, to tear down the walls of mediocrity. And for us to come and humbly say, Jesus, your way is better. Your way is better. I don't want the religion from a, from a, from a great nation. I want the relationship with the Son of God. So the invitation is this, if that's you, as we go into worship, I'm gonna invite you either to kneel where you are, to come forward to the altar, if you're able to. But if, I know we have issues with knees sometimes. If you need to sit down and do it, but do change your posture to declare to you, to your family, that I'm bending my knee because I know who he is. Not who I want him to be, but who he is. And humble your heart before him. And let him cover you. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we humbly come and we say, we need you. God, we don't want to, we don't want to do this just because it's a good thing to do. I don't want to be a good Christian man. I just want to be a man who knows Jesus intimately. Whether people call me a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. I want to know Jesus intimately. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. If that's what it means, I want to know you. I don't want just an American religion. I want a relationship with the son of the living God. So come and tear down the walls. Break religion out of my life, Lord. And let me accept that your way is better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's do that. Let's respond. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.